Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. There are a lot of good books out there that I've rejected and it doesn't mean they were bad and it doesn't mean I didn't like them. A lot of it is about landing on the right desk at the right time. Hi, welcome to Write Off, a podcast about writing rejection and how people get through it. I'm Francesca Steele, a journalist and writer based in London. Writing rejection has been a subject close to my heart ever since I didn't manage to sell my own first novel last year. If you're interested, you can hear more about that in the first episode of this series and the trailer. My guest this week is Phoebe Morgan, author of four books and editorial director at HarperCollins. Phoebe's first book, The Dollhouse, was published just five years after she left university and quickly became a Kindle bestseller. Her books since then have been published in several languages, and this year she got her first American deal for The Wild Girls, which is a really fun and escapist thriller about friendships gone wrong in Botswana. Great if you're going on holiday this summer, I really recommend it. Phoebe has written about how it felt to get that first US deal in her blog, which I should say is full of really useful and honest information about writing and publishing. Because Phoebe is a writer as well as an editor, she really gets how personal rejection can feel. She felt it herself, after all. Her first book nearly didn't sell, for example. But also how the goalposts constantly change, because first you might just dream of a book deal, any book deal, but once you get that, you will want other things like foreign rights and maybe bestseller status or a TV deal. And you have very little control over those things. I love talking to Phoebe with both her editor and writer hat on, pulling back the curtain a little on a process that can seem so opaque when you're starting out. I've added Phoebe's blog to the show notes, by the way, and I really recommend it. So here's Phoebe. 
So I got into publishing as a publishing assistant and I started working on reference books and cookery books. And that was after I had had a kind of non-career as a journalist because I trained (laughs) as a journalist after university. I did an English degree and then I trained to be a journalist. I didn't really know that publishing was much of an option. And I also didn't know that being an author was an option. And I hope that this has probably changed a bit now, but I think at the time, when I was at university and when I was at school, those things were not really talked about as careers. It was sort of like if you'd done an English degree and you liked working with words, you could be an English teacher or you could be a journalist. And that's no disrespect to either of those professions, obviously, but I just, I wouldn't have been a good teacher and I was not a very good journalist. Um, <laughs> so I did that for just under a year and then I got this job um, working in publishing. And then on the writing side, I had always wanted to write. So I started writing just on the side and it was when I was in my early 20s, I was working loads of different jobs. So I was working in a bar in the evenings and the weekends and I was babysitting a couple of evenings a week just because I needed the cash basically. And so I was doing like kind of multiple jobs, but I was also writing this book, which eventually became The Dollhouse. So I just kind of did it in these weird scraps of time when I could. And then I started sending it out to agents. Were you really organised about agent submission and were you nervous about it? I had this big spreadsheet, had this Excel document that I kept a list of all the agents that I wanted to submit to. And then a column saying what date I had sent it that- them and another little sad column which I would put a little (laughs) r in when I got a rejection (laughs) which ended up being a lot of columns I was to be honest looking back I was just a bit kind of trigger happy with it with the emails I sent it out quite widely I was not very selective I mean I was I did research and I didn't send it to people who didn't represent thrillers but I sent it to quite a lot of people at the same time I think I got quite lucky with my agent to be honest and I can't remember exactly how long because it was a while ago but I think it probably actually only took a few months to actually get proper agent interest. And I originally had, I had it like, I probably had a handful of full manuscript requests. And like I said, I then also had loads of rejections, loads of just form rejections. I should say for listeners who don't know, form rejections are where you get a negative response with no real feedback in it. Phoebe, did you have any real feedback? What was it like? I had a couple of rejections which were quite nice and which sort of kept me going. Like even though it was only a few lines, you know, a couple of them said, we think you can write, but this isn't the right book. That came up quite a lot. Um, And then eventually I met with Camilla, who's my agent at Darley Anderson and has been ever since. But she didn't immediately sign me. She read the manuscript really quickly. I can remember, I think it was like the 3rd of October, which is really sad. I can remember that. But um, (laughs) it was like really, it was like a few days in between me actually querying her and her coming back to me. And so she sent me this like amazing, really enthusiastic email. And we met up for coffee and a cake. At the time, as you can imagine, it was just so exciting. I just couldn't believe it. I was so nervous. Uh, but she was lovely. And we had a really good chat about the work that she thought needed to be done on the dollhouse. And then I went away and I revised it. And when I say revised, it was like a really quite a big rewrite. I think I cut out a whole character and I did a lot of work to improve the pacing. Because to be honest, my first draft was almost more like women's fiction. It was like this kind of quite long rambling story and it just needed a lot a lot of kind of heavy lifting and so then that probably took me like a few months and then I resent it to her then she read it and then she sent me this email saying that she wanted to offer me representation 
And I remember where I was, I was in Foils, um, which was appropriate. Um, I was in the cafe mm-hmm. at the top of Foils on Charing Cross Road. And I was sitting with my friend and I hadn't told my friend or really that many people at all that I was writing. And I hadn't, I certainly hadn't said that I was sending it out to agents. And so when I got this email, I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I, I think I like excused myself and went to the bathroom and then just like read it again, you know, just to believe, just so I could like actually take it in. And that was, that was lovely. And that was like a real turning point for me. So then we did a bit more work and then it went out on submission. I think it was around October, November time, because I remember it was in the lead up to Christmas. She sent it out to like the first round of editors and basically, I mean, to cut a long story short, it didn't sell. But I remember that time just being really weird and quite anxiety inducing because you know, I just kept hoping that one day I would get an email saying that someone was interested. And after the first few weeks, I kind of started to lose hope because I thought that if it was going to happen, it would happen relatively quickly because I think that's what you, what everyone thinks. And, and like I said, I didn't know the process in the way that I know it now. So I, I thought, oh, well, you know, it must mean that they don't like it if no one snapped it up quickly. And I know now that it cannot, it cannot often take longer. Um, but I used to, I used to feel really hopeful, like at the beginning of every week, because I would think, okay, it's another week, this is the week an editor's going to read it and like it. And then every Friday, I would feel really fed up because it would be like another week that had gone by. And on the weekends, I would have these like blissful two days off from checking my emails where I, you know, knew that nothing was really going to come in on the weekend. Um, and then the kind of cycle would just start again. Then I remember it was Christmas Eve and I was going home on the train back to Suffolk and I had printed out all these rejections that my agent had sent me because I had asked her to just email me what everyone had actually said. And I know that some agents don't (laughs) some agents don't do that. So some people just keep them for themselves and they only show them if the author actually asks. But I said, look, I just want to see them. And to be honest, they were all nice, but that's almost harder in a way because it just felt as though I hadn't got the one or I just hadn't got close enough it wasn't quite good enough anyway so I printed out this little sad list and like took it home on the train to Suffolk and read it on Christmas Eve and that felt really sad and I just felt as though it wasn't going to happen and that I had put so much time and by that point I had put a lot of time into the dollhouse but she then sent it out to another round of editors I think must have been after Christmas and it eventually did sell um, to HQ which was really exciting and at that point I just had completely given up on it to be honest and I had written most of another book because my agent had said you know it's best to focus on something else and I knew from you know speaking to other authors that it's not always your debut that sells you know it often will be your second book or even your third book or even more than that and I think it had it definitely taught me a lot about the kind of rejection process I think it gave me like quite a thick skin um those kind of those months where it didn't sell um did it feel when you were going through that process you know when you were really in it did it feel like it was teaching you something or did it just feel awful at the time (laughs) no I mean I can say that now looking back you know at the time it just felt awful I just felt I just felt like it hadn't worked um it's really funny that feeling where you have an agent but you don't have a deal because the way that agenting works for people that don't know is that you you don't pay your agent um, at any stage. Basically, if your book sells, they then take a commission. So they take like a cut from everything that I earn now. But at the time, I remember I just felt really guilty because I felt like Camilla was, you know, working on my behalf and that it hadn't sold. And I had kind of let her down and let Darlie Anderson agency down, which is like a really amazing prestigious agency. And I felt 
I didn't want them to regret that they had signed me up and she wouldn't you know, she would she was lovely she would never say anything like that and I, I don't actually think she did feel like that that was just kind of in my head because agents understand you know what they're getting in for but yeah at the time it, it was hard but then because I think for, for for a lot of people getting an agent is like the holy grail you know and so mm. you spend so much energy getting an agent but then when you've got that you kind of mistakenly think that that's it and that you have a deal but but you don't so there's it's like there's this kind of second loop to to get through um and sometimes that can take longer so yeah it was definitely it was definitely hard at the time what did you do to celebrate when you got your deal um I can't really remember I went for a drink I had a drink with my agent which was really nice you know I honestly can't really remember which is so weird isn't it I think because I can remember some moments about the journey like in real clarity like this moment where I got all the rejections and I like went home on the train I don't know and I suppose sometimes you remember the bad bits more than the good bits um it's so interesting that you yeah you remember the the, the kind of the rejections over Christmas more than you remember the deal yeah I wonder wonder if that's often the way it was a weird process it did take a long time it was quite drawn out there was quite a lot of up and down and yeah like I said I had kind of made peace with the fact that the dollhouse was not going to be the one that sold and so when it did it it was just like a kind of extra bonus in a way yes was it hard to drag yourself back into it in a way having put it to rest yeah it was and I remember my editor said something about changing the ending and I was just like no I I mean I didn't say it in that way but I just felt you know we just had a chat about it um and you know I I obviously would have done I really respect all my editors you know feedback and everything like that but I think by that point I just felt as though I had really been through the ringer with that particular book so yeah it was kind of weird to drag myself back into it sometimes I do still think it's really strange that people have read that story because I did write it when I was quite young and it it feels quite unpolished looking back. I really don't think it's my best work. You mentioned earlier that you had actually written a lot of book two by the time the deal for book one came in. And I know in your, one of your blogs, actually I should say for listeners, um, Phoebe's blogs are really interesting and very honest and comprehensive about her writing and editing processes. Definitely worth a look. But in one of the early ones, Phoebe, you talk about how, I think you say that Camilla was trying to talk to you about book two, which you had written a lot of, but you were still mourning book one and we're finding it difficult to move on. And how did you manage to write a whole new book when you were going through that process? I mean, it sounds really hard. Yeah, I think I was just, I was really determined and I still am quite determined as a person. So I just felt very lucky to have got an agent in the first place. Um, And so I thought, I can't waste this opportunity. So many people don't even ever get an agent. And so I have to you know take this for what it is and appreciate the fact that we've tried our hardest with the dollhouse and I've got to crack on and write book two it was funny kind of bringing my head out of book two and back into book one especially when I had kind of metaphorically like shut it in the drawer and turned my back on it it was really strange like I say that's why I find it so strange that people actually read that book because it just so nearly didn't get there Mm. um so it's like the book that you know almost never was printed yeah that makes sense I mean I've, I've recently read it and I really enjoyed it and I've also recently read your uh, new book The Wild Girls and um, and I wanted to ask you about that because when we were setting up this interview we talked a little bit about how goalposts for success move and I know you've talked 
recently got your first American deal for The Wild Girls, which I should say is, a, is an excellent thriller about old friends set in Botswana, which I which I really couldn't put down. Why do you think The Wild Girls got there with The American Deal um, compared with the others? And how does it feel having that ever-changing horizon and these shifting goalposts for what you consider as, as your own success? So I think the shifting goalpost thing is really fascinating because when I was younger, I had this idea that all I had to do was get one book published and then I would be happy or all I had to do was get an agent and then I would be happy. And I'm sure you can guess what I'm going to say. That does not make you happy. It does and it doesn't. That's not that's not quite true because although the goalposts do shift, I I don't feel like the same person as I was before The Dollhouse actually got published because I do think that was such a major thing for me that I wanted to achieve that I will never feel quite as bad or quite as dissatisfied as I did before that happened. And I think that I do still take pleasure from the fact that I can say I have had a book published and, you know, obviously now it's multiple books, but I do still think there is something to be said for reaching that milestone. It definitely did lay to rest a kind of part of my brain that if I hadn't got it published, I don't think would ever have really be satisfied, been satisfied, if that makes sense. I think there would always have been this voice being like, oh, you know, well, you didn't get your book published and that would always have been a sadness. So in that way, it does feel really fulfilling. But in other ways, the goalposts move and you're not suddenly 100% happy because what happens is you just want the next thing. And I think you just become kind of greedy. And I think a lot of authors feel like this. So for example, you get one book contract but then you want the next one and you want the security of that and then you want foreign rights deals and then you want a US deal and then you want a Sunday Times bestseller placement or you want a you know bestseller in another country or you want a film deal you know it's kind of endless and I have some of those things I definitely don't have all of those things and so it it does sometimes feel difficult because you're constantly striving for the next thing which I guess is is like a lot of aspects of life so it's not that unusual but I think the thing that's hard with being a writer is that those things are not really within your control all Mm. you can do as a writer is to write the best book that you possibly can and you can help promote it and market it and I do do that and I try and publicize my own stuff as much as I can without being really irritating (laughs) Um, so there are things that you can do and you know, I spend my own money on Facebook advertising sometimes, you know, there are things that I do that I'm happy to do because I feel like I'm investing in my own novels. But then at the end of the day, it's up to the publisher to make that book a success alongside you. And because I work in publishing, I'm really realistic about how that works. And I know how it works. And I know that there will be some books that get bigger spend than others. And there will be some books that get better slots in the supermarkets or retailers than others. And those things are not within the author's control, to be honest. And so I think what's hard is that you give up that control to someone else. And often it'll come down to things that are really outside of your realm. So it might be a case of competition on a publisher's list. It might be that another book gets dropped in and yours gets kind of moved to the side or, you know, and I know that sounds horrible, but I think it's important to be realistic sometimes that that can happen because publishing is a business and, you know, it pays all of my bills. I I love publishing. I'm an editor first and foremost, so I'm not criticizing it. But I think the hard thing for writers is that that lack of control. And even if you work really hard, you won't always get exactly what you want. And I don't mean that to sound negative because I have got a lot of the things that I want. And if you want to be a writer, then you absolutely should 
Bitly, um, and there will be lots of success and a lot of the things that have happened to me as a writer have made me really really happy but I think it's true that the goalposts will always keep shifting and I think if anyone says they they don't feel that then they're probably lying I think all of us <laughs> I know always want always want the next thing yeah I mean it must be strange as well working on things that have different goalposts as well like I know you've recently edited girl a which has got all of the above <laughs> um that you've mentioned it's an incredible book and how how does it work for you when you're working on all these different things and your authors have all these different goalposts and then obviously you're writing your own stuff how do you align those two things that you're doing and your feelings about them yeah that's a really good question um I think to be honest I actually find that quite easy because I really love my job I really love being an editor I love finding new authors I've loved publishing girl a and that is really important to me and so to me they weirdly are quite separate even though it would seem like they're not they I'm quite good at compartmentalizing them in my mind I sort of see my main job as being a publisher because that's my day job that's where the majority of my time goes that's where I get more money from than my writing mm-hmm. um, and so I have to prioritize that in a way and so working on other people's books is just a real joy for me and then working on my own I just do it at the weekends and if I'm not too tired in the evenings and while that is something that you know I have to put a lot of time into as well I kind of managed to keep them relatively separate in my head and I think there are so many authors out there that not everyone can have everything and I think I'm quite pragmatic about that the other thing I have to do is I have to help my authors kind of deal with their feelings sometimes around things and mm-hmm. obviously not every single book I publish ends up working and so there will be authors where I have to give them disappointing news and that feels really horrible and I absolutely hate that part of my job because I suppose because I really am over empathize with them because I've been on the, the receiving end of disappointing news sometimes and so I really understand how they feel and I wish I wish that I could make every book that I publish a bestseller and I try you know I give it a go but it doesn't always happen um so I think it's about I try and be empathetic with my authors and I try and be straight with them and I try and make things as clear to them as I can and I try to manage expectations because ultimately you know there's only a set amount of slots on the bestseller charts and I'm I'm not going to be able to get them all all the time so I think it's important to let authors know what their goals should be and what kind of sales that we might expect and you can't always you can't put numbers on it and that sort of thing but I try I guess I just try and communicate as much as I can with the authors because I think the worst thing is not knowing and just kind of sitting at home and not really knowing what's happening to your book or what might happen next so I try never to do that. I think it's so interesting to hear all this because when you haven't yet been published it seems like white noise in a way to think of all the things that could happen after it's published and then you know to hear that people are sort of having bad news after it's been published is just a very odd thought although it makes complete sense I think it feels like a good time to segue into asking you questions with your editor hat on how many submissions do you get every week or year and and how many do you take on so at the moment I know I keep a little list of submissions in my inbox to go through so I know at the moment I have about 15 on that list and those are ones that have probably come in in the last week or two and I try to make a decision on a book within a couple of weeks sometimes it does go longer than that because you know if there's a lot going on in the day then I just haven't got to the submission yet but I try really hard to get back to agents within I guess like maximum a month although 
I'm saying that and I'm sure there'll be agents listening being like oh she took longer than that but I do try <laughs> not to take ages because again I know how it feels to be waiting and so I just don't like that but there is a lot of reading in this job and so at busy times it is just tough to find the time to read and I think as well with the pandemic my concentration is not what it was I, I think a lot of people are probably saying and, and feeling that it's it's mm. a funny time to be um well funny time to be in the world anyway really and so it is sometimes tricky to find that extra energy at the end of the night to start reading a submission particularly if you're like me and I'm quite anxious by the whole pandemic so I spend like a lot of my time reading the news or reading statistics and getting far too bogged down in it so actually I should use that time and energy to read submissions so they come in I probably get submissions most days I get all mine from literary agents um so everything that comes through comes with an email from an agent or a phone call and a pitch and a little bit about the author um so sometimes I can try and get a sense of whether I like it just from that and I will sometimes prioritize certain submissions if they're from an agent that I think has really good taste or if I think the actual pitch sounds really amazing or if the author themselves sounds really interesting I might bump that up I don't always read them in chronological order by the time that they came in if that makes sense um I'm trying to work it out you know if I get you know 10 20 30 a month yeah it must it must be in the hundreds in the probably in the like low hundreds maybe 100 to 200 in a, in a year just to me personally and I'm just looking at my list of authors now I have probably signed up between five and ten authors in the last year it, it just varies depending on what it you know how good the quality is like what we're looking for how much we've how much we've got on the list whether we've got a lot of space on the list in terms of how much I will acquire um but unfortunately yeah it is quite a small percentage that we actually buy out of the ones that we do get in um but that doesn't mean that the others aren't good you know it just quite often means that they're not they're not quite special enough to me personally I don't feel like I'm the editor with the clearest vision for them or we have like a very busy schedule and I I know that if I bought the book it would get lost which I never want you know I always want to buy something and know that we've got the space and the kind of energy and the spend to actually make it work and get it into readers hands because I don't the worst thing I think is if a publisher buys a book and then doesn't deliver on on the stuff they promised and then that book actually doesn't really reach readers in in the way that it could have done and I think that can be really hard for authors so I'm always really mindful to only buy stuff that I really think we can properly get behind. Are there books that you like that you don't take on? Oh god yeah all the time um so in the last few days I've read two manuscripts that I have read from start to finish and have said no to both of them and usually so every single manuscript that I've ever acquired is one that I have read from start to finish pretty much straight away and I think it's usually a bad sign if you're putting a manuscript down or if you're forgetting about it and or moving on to something else but both of these two I I did find them really unputdownable but I didn't buy them because I just didn't quite love them enough Um, and I know that sounds like a silly answer but especially at the moment because our list at Harper Fiction is quite busy and it's quite full you have to have a really clear vision and a real amount of passion to take something forward and get it successfully through the acquisitions meeting and one of the books was a psychological thriller and it just felt quite close to other books that we have already got on the list other authors that we um are already committed to publishing so that was really why I said no to that even though I liked it And the other one I thought was great and I really enjoyed the reading process, but I thought the writing was good, but not 
amazing um if that makes sense and I suppose at the moment I'm looking for something that does feel really amazing which I know sounds quite tough but I think it's important to be realistic about these decisions we do have to make and just because and it's kind of reassuring I hope in a way because I definitely turn books down that I think are really good and competent and there's nothing actually wrong with them I'm just not the right person for them I'm not the right editor and so that saying about how you only need one yes and you only need one editor is so so true I think because I would not be surprised if those books were bought by somebody else I think they're definitely worth buying I just don't think that I'm the person to buy them and so that happens quite frequently. How much do you think writers should be aware of the market as they're writing or before? And I ask this with quite a lot of personal interest, I suppose, because my experience of submission was that I wasn't really thinking about the market. And then quite a lot of the feedback on my submission was market related or at least list related, which I guess is part of the same thing in a way. Yeah, I personally think that it's not a bad thing to be aware I work in commercial fiction as opposed to literary fiction. So I think it's probably slightly different in literary fiction. But I think in commercial fiction, like we were talking about just before we started recording, there are trends. And so if you're writing a book that taps into a specific trend, that can be a really good thing. But it can also be a bad thing if there ends up not being space for it on a publisher's list, um, for example, if they've already bought something that feels too similar But then if you can find a trend and reimagine it, I think that's quite exciting and worth doing. And I think it really comes down to whether you're interested and whether actually you enjoy it. And I think if you find market trends or looking at the publishing market just kind of overwhelming or exhausting or you're not interested, then I think it's fine not to and just focus on your writing and what you're doing. But I think actually if you are interested in it, then there's nothing wrong with doing it. Writing and getting published is a job you know you are getting paid for it and I try and treat my writing like a job and I suppose I expect my authors to treat it like a job as well well I do expect that um so (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with having a bit of market awareness as long as it's a process that you enjoy that said I think it's important that your writing should be authentic I think you can see through someone if they are really obviously copying a trend or their heart isn't in it but actually, if you find a trend that you think, actually, that sounds really fun, I'm, I'd like to give that a go. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. And it's also worth knowing what else is out there, because if you have an amazing idea for a book and it's got a really brilliant hook, but then actually someone else has done that a few months ago, that will probably hamper your chances. So it's worth you knowing that. There's a really memorable anecdote about Hilary Mantel, who didn't find a publisher for her first novel, which was set in the uh, Place of Greater Safety, which was set in the French Revolution and got a lot of a lot of rejections when she first sent it out, I think in 1979. And then after she'd written a bunch of contemporary novels, she then had that published as a later novel. Does that sort of thing happen quite a lot? Or is that a sort of one off example? Because it is fascinating to think that something might not be right now for those editors, but might be right in I don't know five years or something yeah I think trends come and go definitely I think that does happen for example and it works in the flip side as well for example I think four or five years ago there was a lot of psychological suspense selling in really high volume so a lot of editors were buying psych suspense and now we are still buying it but there is a lot out there because we bought it and we published it so it's our own fault but the market is very saturated and so I think it is much harder to get a good psych suspense novel through an acquisitions meeting now than it was five years ago I think it's much much harder and I think the bar is much higher and so we are 
we basically have all raised our expectations. So now when psych thrillers come in, the hook has to be even stronger and the writing has to be even better. Um, so that's the kind of flip side of it. But yeah, definitely on the on the other side of it, it might be that, you know, maybe a few years ago, a cosy crime novel wouldn't sell but now people are more interested because of the massive success of the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman which is kind of different because he had his name attached um, and it's a great book and it's been published brilliantly so it's not just his name but obviously that has helped so it doesn't necessarily mean that all cozy crime will now start selling but I think it does mean that more publishers are open to that so it might be that if you had a cozy crime book five years ago it didn't work actually now the market has changed and editors are more in the market for that genre so I think that definitely does happen and I think you know there was a big trend for what we termed uplit because publishers love having terms for these things after an oliphant and so on and there'll sometimes be one big runaway bestseller like the girl on the train or like Eleanor oliphant or you know like various number of books that have had that kind of unpredicted success and then what you get is a kind of couple of years of, I guess, copycat publishing in a way, but that's not to do those those other books down because they can be really brilliant as well. So yeah, I think that definitely does happen. I think it's always worth keeping copies of your books. You know, if you've got a manuscript on the computer or in the drawer, then, you know, you never know when the t- right time might come for you to get it out. It might get snapped up. What, what do you think debut authors, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that debut novelists make editorially? Um, that's a good question. I think people sometimes can rush it a little bit and send it out before it's ready I know that I definitely did that so that's why I think it's really strange that my book actually did get published because I think I did rush that the first one but I think it's a hard balance because you don't want to hang on to a book forever you don't want to be so perfectionist that you can't ever let go of it you have got to be able to let it go at some point but you have also got to make sure it's as good as you can possibly make it I also think actually something I see a lot is the opening is not strong enough. And because, as I said, we do get a lot of submissions. If the opening pages don't grab me or I don't think they're strong enough, it is off-putting. And and so I think there are some authors who think, and it's understandable, but I think they will start off quite slow or they'll start off with a sort of slightly meandering opening and then the the good part comes later and, and the book kind of builds to something which is much stronger. But the problem is that if you do that, an agent or an editor might not ever get to that good part. And that's a massive shame. And by that, I don't mean that your book has to open in a huge James Bond action scene. That's not it. But you, your writing has to be really brilliant in those first few pages and those first few chapters. So I would say it's really important to, to, to focus on the opening as much as you can. And obviously the rest has to stand up to that standard. But I think really, really hone the opening. I just can't stress enough how important even like the first page is. And I know that speaking to agents who get even more submissions than editors, you know, they get hundreds. Some of them will read a couple of sentences and know that actually the book isn't for them. So just make sure that your opening is as strong as you possibly can make it. I think that's a really interesting comment about the first couple of sentences even, because I was going to ask you about voice, which is very personal for both writers and readers. And I wondered if we could talk for a second about what that actually means to you, because it is quite a kind of nebulous concept in a way. What do you think voice is and and how important is it? Would, you know, would a great voice override an average plot for you, say, or... 
So I think it partly depends what kind of books you're publishing. So sometimes if you're publishing really commercial fiction, the plot is more important than the voice and having a really great hook and a really strong plot can be enough and it can appeal to, you know, you've got to know exactly who your audience are. And if your audience are buying very plot driven novels and you've got an amazing idea behind it, then as long as the writing is good, then that could still get through and be quite successful um, and I'm sure we can all think of books like that and I think actually strong plotting is a real real skill and so it's, it's really clever to, to get a brilliant plot together I think the, the obviously the very best combination is an amazing plot and an amazing voice but I also think the voice can be quite subjective and you do get some books where you have every publisher in London clamoring over them but they really are the exception and a lot of books will only get one editor saying yes or potentially two something like that and obviously some books don't get any and I think that voice is is quite personal and there'll be books that I feel that I have really connected with because that voice matches you know either it really matches the character that I've envisioned in my head they've really told that character really well or they have managed to set a scene so well that the voice feels really natural and I think the best voices are ones where I feel in really capable hands and I feel as though the writer knows exactly what they're doing I'm not really looking for mistakes and the best voices are the ones where I sort of forget that I'm reading a submission and I just feel as though I'm reading a book that's already been published and to be honest that's quite rare to find and voice is something that you can definitely hone with an editor or an agent as well but it's also something that I think people do struggle to explain or quantify because it can be quite unique and some writers do have really unique voices and that's not necessarily something that you can go away and learn so that's why I've come back to my point earlier about trying to write in an authentic way and writing about subjects and people and subject matters that feel important to you and feel authentic to you that you feel like you can bring something new to the table on because that I think will shine through and that will help the voice feel stronger. Yeah looking back on your own voice do you think that's something that you honed? I mean the the two of your books that I've read seem to share a strong interest in kind of female friendship and and how that can grow or sour and and so on. Is that something you'd always intended to write about and is it something you feel you've honed as you've written more and more? Not not necessarily something I plan to write about. It's really strange. I always end up writing about the same things so they must be really in my (laughs) consciousness without me realizing because I always end up writing about quite often I write about infertility and I don't know why because it's I know it's, it's something that people do experience so I don't mean this insensitively but it's not something I've personally experienced yet so I don't really know why I keep coming back to it but I think there are certain topics that do recur in my books and so I think they must be things that I have strong feelings about do you know what I mean so I think people end up coming back to what they know sometimes and they write about either what they know or what they feel strongly about I hope that my voice has changed across the four books um I think that I think the dollhouse is probably the weakest of all of the four of them um because it was the first one and I hope that my voice has been honed by working now with my agent for for a long period of time and also working with editors and also as my own publishing career develops as an editor you know I hope that I can kind of utilize some of the same skills that I give to my own authors with my own books if that makes sense um and I think all writers develop and grow and I think sometimes you might have a couple of misses and and, you know you might have if you look at an author with a really really strong long backlist there'll be some books that feel stronger than others and that could be to do with anything you know it might be 
just the way it gelled or whatever's going on in the author's life I mean at the moment I'm writing my fifth book and I'm not joking it is terrible and I think that's just because I am you know we're in the pandemic we're on lockdown three I have run out of energy I really don't think it's very good and so I know that I'll need to do like a lot of work on it um and my fourth book The Wild Girls I actually quite like um although it hasn't come out yet it will come out in a few weeks and then I'll probably change my mind and hate it but I think that I like that one because I wrote a lot of it in lockdown one and at that time I had quite a lot of energy because obviously lockdown had only just happened and I suddenly had all this spare time on the weekends because I didn't have a social life and actually writing that book was a real mental health saver for me because I just lost myself in that rather than worrying about the pandemic that one feels a lot more energetic whereas this last one feels harder and I think authors will have ups and downs in their careers like that sometimes I think that's quite normal I did really feel that The Wild Girls was a really energetic book to read. And and um, oddly, because I know you weren't able to get to Botswana when you were writing it, but it, it feels very escapist in a wonderful way when you're locked down. <laughs> oh, I'm really glad. And I think that's probably because I wanted to escape as well. You know, I was looking at pictures of Botswana and watching videos and doing all this research. And it was because I was trapped in my flat in London, wanting to be anywhere else. And so maybe part of that is coming through in in the writing. I'm sure it is. What do you think all writers should know about rejection and how they can get past it in its different forms, kind of pulling together your experiences as a writer and as an editor and having seen writers of your own at different stages experience it in different ways? Well, I would say firstly that everybody gets rejected. I mean, I know quite a lot of writers now and I honestly can't think of anyone who hasn't been rejected in some shape or form and really people that you wouldn't think as well like people that seem really successful on the outside and might be you know multiple time bestsellers you know they weren't always that and for some people it's taken them a really long time to get to where they are and it might be that they change genre or they change name or and you don't know you know there'll be authors that you think are huge brands and actually they had other books out under a different name 10 years ago you know so you just you just don't know and so first of all yeah I wouldn't go in assuming that you're the only person ever to be rejected because it's just so not true um I think people deal with it in different ways I think it helps me to know that I'm not alone in that and that people have been through similar journeys when I was first trying to get published I used to go on this website called literary rejections which was people's literal stories of their rejections um, which I found quite heartening Um, (laughs) and so I used to do stuff like that and I used to troll the internet looking for people's experiences of being on submission and it's not plain sailing for everyone and it can you know getting published is quite difficult and I'm not saying that to dissuade you of course not I think everyone should give it you know give it their absolute best shot if they want to and and if you keep going I think that most people probably will you know I think persistence is absolutely key I think it's really crucial to keep going but there will be rejection along the way and I suppose for me I sort of think I've developed a bit of a thicker skin now but then there will be certain things that kind of catch me out like something happened the other day which upset me and I thought I had kind of built myself up against that but but you never know what abilities will come back so I think for me now it's important to just recognize that those moments will happen and not feel bad or feeling sad about them because Mm. I think that just shows that you care and I normally just give myself a few days to feel a bit sad and to feel a bit annoyed maybe and wallow slightly but then I do usually bounce back now and I I think that's probably practice um 
So I think that can just take a bit of practice bouncing back each time. Um, And I think if you're getting a lot of rejection for a particular manuscript and if the rejection is specific, then it might be that that isn't the book for you, you know, and you go away and you write a second book and that's the one that works. So I think you have got to have that grit and you have got to be prepared to keep coming back because, yeah, I definitely know lots of best-selling authors who have got a book or multiple books in the drawer that they didn't get published. And I think as well, like we said earlier, it, it's it's a process and it can be quite a long process. And just because you do get published, it doesn't mean the rejection necessarily stops. You know, there'll be there'll be other things you have to prepare for. So it might be that a certain retailer doesn't take your book or, you know, your book doesn't get a foreign rights territory that you wanted or it gets rejected from, you know, film scouts or, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things. But that's like anything in life, you know, and I think if you try and take some of the emotion out of it and you're a bit more pragmatic about it and realise that rejection happens in all forms of life and in all jobs then that makes it slightly easier. But I think that's hard for people because writing does feel like a really emotional process because you're pouring so much of yourself into it. And also because it takes so long to write a book. So I think that's the hard thing. And sometimes it doesn't match up. So if you've been working on a book for a year and then it gets rejected by 10 editors over a course of a couple of weeks, that's really, really tough. Mm. Um, But it does happen. And, And again, I hope it's helpful for me to say that actually there are a lot of good books out there that, I've rejected and it doesn't mean they were bad and it doesn't mean I didn't like them or that I hated the author or anything like that a lot of it is just stuff that you can't control and so a lot of it is about landing on the right desk at the right time and I do think there's a certain amount of luck involved in getting published so sometimes it's a matter of waiting until it's your time. Thank you so much for listening to Write Off I hope you've enjoyed it Um, If you do have a chance to leave a review or rating, I'd really appreciate it. You can do that in your podcast app and it really helps people find the podcast. Plus, it just makes me feel good, to be honest. Guests still to come on the podcast include Julian Fellows, Anne Napolitano, Alex Wheatle, Michelle Roberts and Douglas Stewart. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Francesca Steele with an E at the end. So do pop along and say hello. Um, Hope to see you there. Bye. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.